I totally screwed up the beginning. That's like an allegory for our show. I didn't recall the previous watching. Greased and naked. Janitor shaman. Spirit guide for bad action movies. Serious shit for that nerd to go through. I'm in the mood for something that's wet and also dry. Ben, for the love of oatmeal, stop. Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. Coming at you from Washington, Dulles International Airport. I'm the Mulverine, along with Jar Higo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And C-Lab forever. Yo. Welcome to the podcast, folks. This week, we are talking about the titular 1990 classic, Die Hard 2, a.k.a. Die Harder, which is kind of a dumb name, a.k.a. Shootout on the Annexkin Skywalker. Welcome to the show. You didn't say in this episode everybody dies. I didn't? You're dead. Oh. Can I do it now? How could I miss that? I know I didn't miss that. Did I? Yeah, you did, yeah. In this episode, everybody dies. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm just, <laughs> it's not I'm your host. <laughs> it's I'm just a Southern lawyer. <laughs> I'm just a simple Southern lawyer. <laughs> Along with my co-lawyers. Jahigo. Esquire. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And algorithm. Indubitably. Uh, okay, so I totally screwed up the beginning. Welcome to the show. We fixed it. Let's move on. Let's do it. Let's go straight into the... We'll, we'll skip all the high level and go straight into the nude karate scene. Ugh. God, what a way to start a movie, man. Right. Should we, you want to talk about William Sadler? No, no, no. I think we should circle. I, I think I just wanted to talk about naked karate. Greased, greased and naked. Yeah, okay. Um, greased and naked. High level. Sorry, high level. Naked as a jaybird. I will say that, firstly, this film is actually based on a book, which I didn't know. The name of the book is 58 Minutes. It's roughly, loosely based on that. About a guy, the focus is really on more the guy making sure he can, you know, take care of the situation to get his wife's plane down. You know, obviously they kind of expanded that outward in this movie. So when I was watching it, as many swears as there were, unnecessary profanity and terrible dialogue, this plot of this film is actually really good. That sounds like an allegory for our show. <laughs> All the unnecessary swears, <laughs> profanity, and bad writing, but we're actually a pretty pretty decent plot half the time. Yeah, that that is a good allegory for our show. Um, so maybe our show is really... <laughs> It's like Die Hard 2. <laughs> our show is like the worst of the diehards. Yeah, our show is like the worst of the diehards. Yeah. So that said, this is the plot of this film is it's good. It's not bad. It's better than I remembered. Yeah, it's better than I remember too. And the way that, you know, Colonel Stewart kind of does the entire thing, I've really never seen anything quite like that in a movie. It definitely wasn't formulaic. It was new, it was different, and, you know, it it had some intricacies to it that you you just didn't see coming, which I really enjoyed a lot. That is pretty much where my high level ends. A scene, Mr. Benjamin. Excuse me, sir? Jaw Higo, if you would uh, speak for a few moments on this film. Listen, I might be a simple Southern lawyer. (laughs) I I don't know much about anything, but 
I do know that this movie is the worst of the Die Hard films. <laughs> I love how he, you wanted to see how far you could get with that accent, and you haven't broken it so far. <laughs> nice. Yes, exactly. I did break it once, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But only once. <laughs> okay, I can't keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank fuck for that. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the dedication, but please stop, for the love of baby Jesus. Well, now that you mention it, sir, I believe I will continue. <laughs> See, I found I found I felt a bit differently about this one on rewatch, Kev. Where like I feel like the plot overall is somewhat interesting. The execution, not as much, but yeah, I feel like one of the major failures is it kind of falls for its own tropes. Like some of the great stuff about the original Die Hard got kind of you know, doubled down on here because they thought it would just, like, repeat the success. And from a filmmaking perspective, I found it kind of like, it just rung it dry a little bit too much, but... Oh, absolutely. No question about it. definitely better than I remember. I remember it being, like, really, really, really bad. But I probably saw it in the theater when it came out or maybe just after and haven't seen it since, so... Speaking of, I don't know if I actually have... Uh, I'm sure I must have seen this before, but I don't. I don't remember when it was like a. It was like a first time watch for me. Basically, it felt like a first time watch. Hmm. So I if I did re- see it, I, I didn't pay recall. attention to it. I didn't recall the previous. <laughs> I don't watching. recall. Stop encouraging it, man. God damn it. Sorry. Okay. I do know Bonabadilia. <laughs> She's the woman that plays Holly McLean. Jesus Christ! I keep getting sidetracked here. <laughs> I was amazed this movie made twice as much money as the original Die Hard. That blew me away. It was also, to date, it is the highest grossing Die Hard film, I which I thought was... I'm firmly in the camp that everyone went and saw this once and then didn't tell anyone else about it, and that was it, because yeah. it was definitely yeah. riding on the coattails of the first Die Hard, I reckon. No doubt. High level. No, actually, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a good time watching it. I was, I was expecting much worse, and yeah, it, it was... I pretty much agree with everything you said, Chad, but I still found it to be enjoyable. And I don't really know, like, I don't know what else they would have done, but go with all the, you know, tropes from the first movie. It's it's just kind of the, the hallmark of the series, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, the, it got a little, I, I don't know, maybe they were trying to, like, tie up too many loose ends or it went into a little bit too much detail on a few things. I felt like it was... They could have cut like a little bit of the movie out and made it a little more like brought the pacing to a little better of a pacing. Like like a like a slower clip or a faster clip on the pacing. It's just that there's like a lot fucking going on, man. It felt like, you know, yeah, a little too it much. felt like it had like a Spider-Man three syndrome kind of going on, you know, where like there's just too many different, you know, there's too many threads going on. Yeah, maybe that that kind of got to me. When you said that, what jumps out at me is the McLean running down the fucking runway to f- to meet the military plane and punch the dude in the face and then eject out like that was all pretty ridiculous and probably could have been mm-hmm. removed without too much uh, difficulty. Yeah, but it, it seemed like a constant like rehashing of him being like, OK, I need to be in the West side now. So I'll run through these tunnels and now I'm here and then I'll run through the tunnels again. And now I'm here and it's just all over the shop and just. Just when you think you're going to get confused, they inject, you know, Marvin, the weird janitor in there to, you know, sort of guide you through it like a spirit guide. He's like a Marvin's like a spirit guide for bad action movies or something. He's like a janitor shaman that lives in a steamy basement. (laughs) Totally, man. He's rocking some pretty sweet tunes with old Cape Cod. I I completely forgot about that. Totally, man. Hell yeah. He's got he's got tomes and scrolls and. 
<laughs> He's actually a wizard. We must consult the sacred scrolls. So I agree, but the you know the steam tunnel wizard is a trope in and of itself at this point. You know, even in 1990, it's like how many times have we seen this? Our hero happens into the basement and finds, you know, the answer to everything. A wizened old or weird wizened old person who has all sorts of, uh, you know, behind the curtain knowledge about whatever is going on in the particular story. Who randomly finds a decrypted radio and just leaves it on his desk. <laughs> yeah, okay. I how about you give me 20 bucks for it? <laughs> Yeah, there's a crisis going on, dude. That's a good time to haggle with a cop with a gun. Any more high level or we want to get into the plot? Let's get into the plot. There's no – yeah, let's do it because there is no more high level. Chad, why don't you give us a synopsis? Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) No, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. So in the early 90s at Christmas time, uh, as is tradition with most military personnel, nude kung fu in hotel rooms (laughs) is the tradition. Tai Chi. Yeah. Which, like, straight up reminded me of the SpongeBob SquarePants karate episode. And a little bit of, um... There you go. Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now, yeah. But, uh, naked kung fu general dude with a standard 90s trope news montage telling you a whole bunch of details that don't really make a shit of difference because the whole movie's just Bruce Willis shooting people. Um... (laughs) True. Goes to Bruce Willis, waiting for his wife to land, and all hell breaks loose with terrorists and airports and lights turning off and fucking basically like airplane two kind of plot lines in a giant airplane tower, culminating in Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon, and a bloody wife beater shirt on uh, Bruno. That's basically the story. Wow, spot on as usual. Bada bing. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. But in, I mean, in haiku form, it's. Bruce Willis kills people at an airport because terrorists. Like, that's basically the fucking movie, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, hmm, where exactly do we start here? Naked Karate. Oh, sorry, yeah. Naked Karate with William Sadler. William Sadler is a excellent, excellent actor. I don't know how he found his way into this film, other than a large bag of cash. But he did play a pretty convincingly psychotic Colonel Stewart, mm. but op- opening the film with the the oiled naked Tai Chi in the room was you know a little weird. This is a bit random and unnecessary, but kind of nineties. Yeah, kind of nineties. But immediately I thought of Apocalypse Now, and I was like, okay, so we're gonna throw like throw a little little dabble of that in here. You know, for some reason like, I was man. I was half expecting like the camera to pan and Patrick Swayze was there too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Swayze and his karate casuals, totally. Yeah, and then it's Bruno in a sweet sweater at the airport, or no, parking his car with a bunch of dickhead cops giving him tickets and you know dialogue tastic bullshit. And that's that was the beginning too of the parking ticket situation in the beginning of the film is the beginning of you know john mcclain just anything that's going on he just he pulls his badge out (laughs) you know like he does that so many times in the movie hey i'm a cop come on have a little professional courtesy here you know like he he was just (laughs) milking that so they have all the silly airport stuff but then they have that amazing airplane phone call between mcclain and his wife which was ridiculous 
Oh, I was going to make a joke about how he how he's talking to his wife on the plane, and he's like, you know, I'm thinking, put your kids with your parents, get a hotel, a little room service, a couple of barefoot Brunos. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really want to digress and talk about Die Hard? I mean... I just want to acknowledge that it is the best Christmas movie there is. Barefoot Bruno. Barefoot Bruno was some of the best. Uh, man, I really like that, Ben. Barefoot Bruno. That'd be a good Seagram's flavor. <laughs> oh, wow. What, what flavor would be? <laughs> <laughs> what flavor would Barefoot Bruno be? <laughs> it'd, be, a, it'd, be it'd have to be a, a Bloody Mary flavored one, wouldn't it? <laughs> so you got Seagram's Escapes featuring Jamaican Me Happy. Strawberry Daiquiri Calypso Colada and Barefoot Bruno. For a limited time only. <laughs> and for a limited time only, one in every 100 cases of Seagram's Escapes, Barefoot Bruno. <laughs> now with more broken glass. <laughs> that was the first thing that left into my mind. There, I'll just I'll just roll with that right now because that was at the beginning of the film. Was uh, that would have just been perfect if he had said Barefoot Brunos or Seagram's Gold Wine Coolers? That would have been fantastic. Dude, such a great place for some product placement too. I'm amazed that it never went anywhere. I know. Well, it's it's amazing how many what, what a missed opportunity that was. Right. I was the, I was thinking the same thing later in the movie when the uh, stewardess offers Holly a champagne. Oh yeah, <laughs> because she beat up. Uh, Thornburg. Thornburg. Yeah. I, I thought I thought then she should have been like, would you like a Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler? Would you like some champagne? Ah, I'm not really in the mood for champagne. Do you have any Seagram's Golden Wine Coolers? Champagne's a little dry for me. I'm in the mood for something that's wet and also dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I thought was interesting? They, when William Sadler's team, well, firstly, William Sadler in the airport, like he's like a pretty well-known guy, clearly, because like the reporter kind of gravitates towards him immediately. And, you know, he's about to pull off this major heist. So it's definitely important to draw more attention to yourself by telling the reporter, yeah, I got two words for you, fuck and you. Right. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> My overarching note in this movie is that the dialogue is just dreadful. Like, while the plot, like we said, the plot is good there's some really good elements to the plot actually and you know there's some nice twists some interesting ideas annex skin skywalker all of that uh the dialogue is just dreadful and there's just the, such an unnecessary amount of profanity in this movie like i love a good bit of profanity like the next guy but man this they just overdo it like a comedian trying to resell you a joke by adding more swears to it you know what i mean I've never experienced anything like that. Just my day-to-day -day life of <laughs> trying to oversell my jokes and swearing. Yeah, oh, right, right. <laughs> you're, talking to the, you're asking the wrong guy, man. I swear like a goddamn sailor. So, I, To be honest with you, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I really didn't. I, I, yeah, I also it didn't it didn't stick out at me the uh, the amount of profanity. Wow. Okay. I guess it was just me and my uh, my Amish upbringing <laughs> 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 that found it unnecessary. Anyway, getting back on track, 
I really thought that when they get out to the church, they really dispatch the old pastor caretaker guy with a extreme amount of prejudice, which was another hallmark of this film was, you know, as Chad alluded to in the beginning, when he was giving the synopsis, just an insane amount of violence, man. It's pretty wild. Many shots were fired. Well, they could have just taken that guy and locked him in the basement, man. I mean, my God, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. But at the same time, it seems like so often in movies, they don't, like the baddies don't kill people sometimes. You know, like, I'll just leave all these people. He's like, can you guys hold on to my cell phone for a minute? It's a little tight in my pocket. Just don't call the cops and I'm just going to (laughs) trust you guys. Just I'm going to leave and go and rob the bank now. Can you guys just please... It's always yeah. some dumb shit. Like, there's always yeah, you're right, a person you're they right. don't kill that no. then ends up going on to fucking crawl through the steam tunnels and find the wizard with the or, radio. You know? Yeah. Or somehow save the entire plot of the story. Yeah. No, you're right. Actually, I retract that comment. I'm going to go for a – I'm actually going to go for a a retraction comment death here. I'm going to allow you for that. That's a death. <laughs> I'm dead. Gail, what you don't understand is these guys are trained professionals in guns, hand-to-hand combat. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in oatmeal. Raisins, That's what brown I sugar. said two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. Cinnamon. Apples. <laughs> brown sugar. <laughs> Spoon size. There's something there. I like that. I thought you were going to go somewhere a little different with the... Uh... McLean getting a ticket, talking to his wife thing, where it was more like his his day always gets shittier no matter what he does. Like he's always just having a shittier and shittier day, and so he's like going to pick his wife up, gets his mother in law's car towed, goes and sits down at the table in the bar waiting for the plane to land, and then like notices the shady dudes like moving present bombs under their table. He's like, I'm gonna go check that out. Oh, that's where I was gonna go next. Was that part? Yeah. You know, the, the uh, it's so weird to watch somebody smoking inside of oh, really anywhere yeah. now, you know, mm. and and he smokes a lot in this movie. And, you know, <laughs> it's just that like kind of, oh, something's up. Yeah. What are you shady guys up to? I'm just going to have a Seagram's, have a quick smoke while I wait for my wife. Like, Whoa, so what's going on over here? <sighs> and then flashes his badge to get into the door. Oh, my God. Exactly. So that was like incident number two of, you know, this is my my uh, multi-pass. <laughs> he knows it's a multi-pass. You ever seen one of these before? It's a multi-pass. It gets me in anywhere. Now open the freaking door. I'm a cop, all right? So I can't do a good Bruce impression. Sorry. That's all right. with me. This is, you know. Are you a cop? Negative. I am a meat popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he goes into the luggage area or whatever, and it's all, it's even more smoky than the smoky airport, and the dudes are fucking around with whatever they're fucking around with, and he's like, hey, you guys, and they're just like, oh, hey, let's pretend that we're giggling, and then just pull our guns out and shoot at you. <laughs> it's the tropiest, tropastical thing ever. Mm-hmm. But it, it also, like, because this has come up numerous times in, in the various films that we've talked about, is like, that when he gets back there, it is a proper steam room, a proper generator room. I mean, there are literal jets of steam coming out of various different pieces of machinery, you know, like I, it was, it was too perfect of the steam room. And then it turns out that we're not in a steam room. We're in the baggage sorting area, Yeah, which I thought was really strange. And then we're treated to a delicious uh, luggage roller scene, which I, I, I don't know, I guess the, the top, well, it was like a conveyor belt. Then there's like a top roller that I, I guess, 
assists in spitting the luggage further down the line once it gets to the top. And then that baddie gets shoved through there by Bruno. And that's uh, one of our first deaths. It's a pretty gruesome death. I love how they have like that. Hey, can we put a giant roller that just fucking ruins everyone's luggage on the end of this line? Yeah, sounds good. Hmm. And just crushes the dude's head. Well, all, all the steam, you know, they, they steam the luggage and then they run it through the roller and it sort of like compacts everything down so they can fit more right. in the planes. It's like a pasta maker. Yeah, it's just like a pasta maker. No, it's like one of those food savers. Oh, you know, you suck all the air out. It's like you you get a thing of 10 sweaters and then you can make it as flat as a pancake, you know? I could see a Joe Fowler commercial about that luggage roller. Oh, man. Joe Fowler is all. <laughs> Joe Fowler here for the luggage roller. <laughs> you tired of all your clothes being crisp and tidy? Let's crush the fuck out of them with some hot steam in an airport. Tired of bulky suitcases? From the makers of the toilet spear. From the makers of the toilet spoon comes the luggage roller. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I love that Bruno is so unaffected by that. <laughs> dude gets as well. obliterated. He, like, a dude gets his head crushed by a roller, like, or, you know, gets his face burned off by it, or, you know, I don't know exactly what happens, but clearly it's gruesome, and he's just, like, completely unaffected, just nonchalant. It's like a Play-Doh fucking fun factory. The dude comes out star-shaped and... Bruno just grabs another smoke and lights it up. Is that what he does? No, but that's what I want him to do. No, he gets on a bike and goes after the other guy, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think that, like, the cops... Oh, he does. He's riding a fucking bicycle. That's right. (laughs) With a bell. Like, like complete with, like, a basket and a cling, cling, cling kind of thing. But he doesn't even ride it. He's, like, one-footing it and kind of skating along like he's in 1920s. (laughs) Fuck. Like he's on a penny farthing. Yeah, he's going to sell a newspaper exactly. on his way to kill the baddie. <laughs> a farthing. Nice. Nice name drop. That begins like a succession of just kind of a lot of tackling into luggage. Luggage piles, luggage carts, luggage. Just This is the luggage section of the movie, folks. <laughs> but this is the this is the Joe Fowler thing where it's like. Do you need some rugged luggage? And then it's just like Bruno throwing guys through all the luggage. It's like, if you had the special, you know what I mean? Like, Kryptonite Luggage by Joe Fowler. <laughs> Survives any roller or Bruce Willis action sequence. Yes, I like that. But it ha- it totally has an infomercially th- feel to it. It definitely, definitely. And then at the very end, I love how he gets busted and he doesn't have his badge on him. And he's like, oh, man. Where's your badge? It's on the way to Milwaukee. Or yes, exactly. God, the one-liners in this were just dreadful. And that was like the beginning of it right there, Ben. Because pretty much next, he goes to visit uh, our friend Dennis Franz, right? Oh, my God. Well, hold on one second. Before we, before we get to Franz, I think it's important that we do the, there's a there's a quick cut to the airplane where we kind of get an update on what we we see Holly for the first time and we get a kind of or the second time rather get an update on what's going on there and that's where we get William Atherton. Yeah, that was an interesting like I get it it's funny it's like, you know, po- poke fun at the uh sock him in the jaw bit from the end of the first movie, but they really they milk that dry too. It's like 20 minutes of cutting to the airplane of mm. The stewardess is celebrating how much of a badass Holly is and giving her free barefoot Brunos. Free champagne, and the stewardesses are both they're tag teaming Atherton and telling him basically to shut up or they're gonna throw him out the plane, you know. But I 
you know, it's William Atherton and he's great and he plays like the best dick ever. Mm. So I don't know, you know, yeah. France kind of might have him beat. Is- he might, but, but he, Atherton plays a really irritating, uh, person in so. Atherton is fucking legendary, man. I mean, you know, he's always a fucking prick, man. He was a prick in Ghostbusters. He was a prick in Real Genius. Totally. He was a prick in this. Biodome. But it's almost like that whole thread they made just for the sake of having him in the movie. No, I'm absolutely with you 100%. Like, they were milking that. But it just ended up, like, being a little too much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can't just have Holly and the old lady tasing each other for fun during the course of the flight. Holly and uh, Johnny Dangerously's mom. (laughs) That taser moment was, I don't know if that was 90s or 80s, but tasers were just like legendary around that time. They were. I love that she was allowed on the plane with that. Right? That was the best part. Yeah, no problem back then. That is an interesting kind of aside where watching a movie about completely lax, non-TSA airports was kind of interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. Just looking back, I I mean, because you you really get a sense of like the entirety of the airport experience because we see McLean throughout so much of it. I mean, it's like the, the ease at which he is able to just enter and egress these various parts of the airport with nobody. I mean, there are points where he's going places and nobody is questioning him. He's getting in and out of there. No problem whatsoever, you know? And then just the nonsense that happens on the plane, Chad, you know what I mean? Like, even with him being like, oh, I feel sick. And he goes into the bathroom to like, you know, tell the story over the phone. Yeah, yeah. After they've told everybody to sit down. Then on top of that, Holly rolls up later with the taser and tases him. Like, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, no. It's funny. It's just, you would never see that now, ever. But that's part of what what I, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked the otherworldiness of it. Right, seeing like a window into mm. the way it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm with that, man. Okay, so now I you guys wanted to talk about Franz. Like, he's next. Dude, I just want to say, like, I mentioned in another episode that I get caught up in characters and, and end up hating the actor. And, like, my fucking God, I hated this guy. I get it. <laughs> I just wanted to punch him in the face the whole movie. And clearly that's what they were going for. But, man, he hit it out of the park. Well, this 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 was when Dennis Franz was on fire. Like, he was white hot. He was on... This was pre-NYPD was- Blue, I believe. No, no, this is like as NYPD Blue is going on, because that was the show that blew him up. And then I think he got into this because of that. And, you know, he was just on fire. He was everywhere. I th- I, if I remember correctly, I, I think NYPD Blue started a couple years after this. Can we get a ruling on that? Can we get a can we get a Jimmy? Hey, Jimmy, what are you doing? You getting a sandwich? Yeah, 1993, man. 1993 to 2005, role that earned him Golden Globe Awards grant. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Okay. I figured that he got into this because of that, but... Because of that, yeah. I thought so, too. But then when I looked it up, I think he got NYPD Blue because of this. Aha! Aha! Algorithm, you have stumbled on something very important. I think that, um, you know, it also says here that now I didn't... That these even... new circumstances have come to light... Exactly, Colonel Higo. I think that I didn't realize he was on Hill Street Blues for a couple of years, too. That was a really popular show. Anyway. Did you find Dennis Franz as infuriating uh, as I did, Benny? Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. He served a purpose. Like, yeah. McLean needed some friction, you know, like like we were just saying, the guy's fucking just, you know, pretty much like going anywhere the hell he wants to in the airport um, and pretty much doing whatever he wants to. So, you know, I mean, I think it was it was kind of uh, necessary to have some friction there. And he was good. He definitely, uh, you know, he was definitely a prick, just not as much of a prick as William Atherton. There are two different kinds of pricks, for sure. Like Atherton's kind of like the yuppie out for himself. Well, I don't know. He's like out for himself, whereas Lorenzo is just kind of happy to sit behind his desk doing fucking nothing. I love that he keeps getting, uh, you know, like McLean keeps kind of going over his head and to successfully. That really seems to get his uh, get on his go. They definitely seem to try and make him incompetent enough so that McLean is constantly like looking like the fucking hero, you know. Calling in the fingerprints yeah. from uh, Reginald Vell Johnson oh God, with the dude. Twinkies and stuff. Well, he's he's constantly circumventing Lorenzo. Yes. Like, so Lorenzo, like, okay, so my take on Lorenzo is, all right, so you've got the trope where you have, like, the captain or the chief that is, like, always chewing out the hero who's always, you know, a screwball who doesn't follow the rules. So you've got that imprint, you lay it into this movie, and then you just freaking repeat it and then beat it to death. Because that's how I felt that dynamic was played out through the entire film. And it was just, got tiresome, man. It was like, he would chew him out, then he would go run off and like, you know, grab two tubes and make two, you know, Rambo cave torches to try to land an airplane. And then... <laughs> He would end up back in the office and everybody's like, McLean, you know, quit sticking your nose. And he would just chew him out with like a lot of swearing again. And that I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> that's where I that's where my dialogue, terrible dialogue co comment comes from. No, totally. And the the thing I think that's missing from the trope is that you normally have the, the captain and the screwball slash hard boiled detective. And in this case, it's like. You've got McLean, who's the fucking super genius, solving everything, and then Lorenzo's just an idiot. Like, if Lorenzo was a little bit smarter, it probably would have sold better. Yeah, I agree, because you're right. They made him out to be a complete moron, because, like, every time he was like, ah, no. Yeah, the first time he wasn't going to buy the bullshit, but then, like, they shut down the airport, and he's like, I still don't fucking believe you, you prick. And it's just like, uh, yeah. it's a little different now, dude. Yeah, and it was just that, he was just sort of annoyed that McLean was still sticking his nose in it. And he was kind of, it was a very much a vibe of like, we don't need you to help us, you know? And then there McLean runs back down to the basement, hangs out with Marvin for 10 minutes and figures something else out. <laughs> yeah. Comes back up. Rinse, repeat. Yeah. Keeps getting all the accolades Lorenzo wants, I guess. He clearly just doesn't like McLean for whatever fucking reason. Right off the bat, he decides he doesn't like him, and then he just, you know, he's the friction for the rest of the uh, the movie. Yeah. It definitely has, like, a toe-stepping vibe. The um In the Dennis Franzi kind of space, kind of one of the next main, not in, not in terms of, like, play-by-play -play of the movie, but just in terms of, like, major threads, Fred Thompson coming in is, like, the head air traffic control dude was interesting. We're like... Oh, my God. I love that. It's great, and it's also really weird having this, like, random dude who's, like, in charge of the whole airport, including security, just calling the shots like he's the fucking president of the airport or something. <laughs> I liked it, but it was just kind of weird. But what was his title? 
Was he like the head air traffic controller or was he like the FAA representative there or was he the president of the airport? (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely – He was – I don't know, man. The emperor of the airport. Yeah, he's like the king of the airport, man. Everyone just defers to him. All right, guys. uh, We're going to rack them, roll them, and roll them and rub them. Like, okay. <laughs> How do you not love him? Son, the Russians don't take a dump without a plan. <laughs> I, I always, I could not stop thinking about that. The in every scene he came on. Did you guys see that the motherfucker was a senator? Oh yeah, I knew he was a senator a while ago, but yeah, yeah. I didn't know that man. He took he took Al Gore's seat evidently when he became vice president. That's pretty amazing. Wow, he took Al Gore's seat. Yeah, he was a senator from Tennessee for almost ten years, nine years, I think mm. it was. And he passed away in 2015. He's one hell of an airport president. I'll tell you what, he sure is. Yeah, you know what? He had a he had not like a ton of roles, but he was super memorable, man. Like I really, I remember when he was in Clear and Present Danger, like or sorry, Red October, and I, I just, I, I never forgot him. Even in that, even in that small part, you know. He had some stupid lines in this, too. I mean, this kind of segueing into one-liners for a, a hot minute, like uh, some, again, when McLean is, like, sticking his nose in and, like, you know, Franz is, you know, God damn it, McLean, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's, you know, flashes the badge and he's like, I had a cholesterol test like that one time. <laughs> I was like, What? On that uh, Red October thing you were saying, I'd chuck a nugget in that I was going to save for later where Please. McTiernan was supposed to direct this, but he couldn't because he was committed to doing October. Are you serious? Yeah, the reason McTiernan didn't do this is because he was filming October. So that's pretty interesting. Hmm. It would have been a wow. significantly different movie, probably for the better, considering how awesome the third one of these is. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a really kind of interesting meta thread nugget there. Really, really good one, yeah. Hmm. So now it's like shut down the airport there in the church with the fucking Death Star plans. Kind of the movie kicks off, eh? More or less. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I, I would like to just quickly say that I loved when the – I love how he commandeers the rental car desk. <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Use the fax machine. And then the woman in behind the desk falls in love with him. And as he's parting, she's like, you know, I don't know what you're doing later, but uh, you want to get a drink? (laughs) I was like, really? And then he says, just the fax, ma'am. Oh, that was just. I was like, oh. come on, dude. You are so nice. As, as he's showing her the ring. As he's yeah. showing her the ring. But but just the facts, ma'am, is from Dragnet. He is so not Joe Friday. Like the original Dragnet was really good. I mean, even the, the movie with Dan Aykroyd was really good. <laughs> Better than this movie, man. So I was like, yeah, yeah you wish you were Joe Friday. I'm, I'm risking a death here, but you obviously caught the pun there. I'm now risking a death, depending on what I say next. Just the FAX, (laughs) ma'am. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, wow. That just blow your fucking mind, dude. You just blew me my mind, and you just blew me out the window, too, dude. That is a death. (laughs) Wow. Why that didn't register with me is beyond me. Yeah. That's okay. So it was like it was like the two of you guys were like engaged in a game of Russian roulette or something. <laughs> See who flinched first. Oh my god! Just the facts, ma'am. Jesus Christ! It makes it four times worse. It does make it four yeah. times worse because it's like a dumb pun now. 
Mm. And it's a throwback to a real <laughs> good police show. Oh, my God, you, man. I am quitting. You're fortunate you missed it. Yep. I'm quitting after this show, folks. So enjoy the next 45 minutes because that's all I got left. I appreciate you bringing that one up because I forgot about that. That's a silly little scene. Yeah, I whatever. So there we there you have it, folks. Uh, rental car and I'm an idiot moving right along. Are we off to the uh, Anakin Skywalker yet? Yeah, man. Uh, we're yeah, pretty much there. Yeah. So why don't we, Ben? Uh, we should talk about Le- Leslie Barnes for a second as well, because definitely as as we get into the Anakin, only because he is a serious serious nerd is he now yeah the way he spazzes out about all of like the technological aspects of what's going on throughout the entire movie yeah that's the character sorry yeah just that's what he does like i I thought you were saying art evans the actor was like a you know sci-fi nerd or something and that i just didn't know about (laughs) no i wish he was and i wish he was a fan of our show but or he was possibly a guest for this episode that would have been a cool idea, but no, he plays a completely spazzed out tech nerd. You know? Yeah. Hangs out in Radio Shack. Oh man. He's like in Radio Shack all the time. He's got a Tandy computer. You know, he is. Cause he came up with like 10 solutions to like talk to the planes during the course of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. He's like going like <laughs> he's having like a Zaphod Beeblebrox Magrathia moment with the Annex Skywalk. He's just like the Annex Skywalk. The Annex Skywalk. It's got everything we need. The Annex Skywalk. Like, <laughs> Magrathia. Magrathia. <laughs> I, I kept looking for, uh, uh, I kept looking for Bill Paxton and the control tower there. Oh, fair enough. You must divert your aircraft now. I can't even, like, I can't even, what would he say? He would say the opposite. No, no. He, he wouldn't say you must no, he, land your aircraft He now. would say something along the lines of, like, if we reverse the polarity on dish number six, we could go to the Anakin Skywalk and turn this thing on and talk to the planes, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> no, that's what Leslie would do. I'm saying, what would Paxton say? Yeah, but it's like if Bill Paxton played that character. Oh my God, man. If Paxton played <laughs> Leslie? Yeah. As far as the plot points are concerned, I kind of. I kind of feel like the annex bait and switch is one of the stronger plot points where, you know, you're in the tower and they're like, holy shit, what are we going to do? And, you know, Jordy LaForge fucking says, ah, we'll change this, that and the other and go to Radio Shack and pick up some transistors and save the day by going to the annex. And they're like, yeah. And so you're, you're totally on board. You're like, all right, they might actually figure this thing out. And it turns out it was all set up. So I kind of dug it in a way more than some of the other plot points. I did dig that. And that was what I meant by like the plot is solid in terms of, you know, hmm. the overall arc and the twists and the turns in the plot. And the poor bastard just like has his, his just head over hand over his head while everyone gets shot to shit and gets pretty much scarred for life with the satellite dish blowing up at the end. Like that's some serious shit for that nerd to go through. That- <laughs> <laughs> not all the deaths and everything he just really hated seeing that radar tower get blown up that's what that's what was bugging him <laughs> that's some good equipment right there exactly <laughs> yeah i like i like how you said like inferred that that's a lot of trauma for a nerd <laughs> <laughs> well seeing a radar dish get blown up is a lot of trauma for a nerd i mean <laughs> It's like it's like watching somebody dump their J and B in a chess master computer. <laughs> chess wizard. Chess wizard. Yes. Sorry. Yes. 
I found it odd in this scene that like there was this was the only scene in the movie where they did it like a slow mo bullet shooting a guy and then him falling through a, a plate of glass. Like that was the only slow mo scene in the movie. Yeah. Maybe like it I was super pumped to see broken glass for the first time in this movie, considering the hilarious broken glass shit that we riffed on with the Die Hard One. So maybe they were doing the glass throwback. I don't know. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Bruno's going to take his shoes off. He's going to lose his shoes. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just like when you think about all the scenes that could have possibly benefited from even just a little slow-mo, like why that one? Uh, yeah. I mean, but also the pane of glass. Like surely by 1990, there have been enough panes of glass broken in action sequences to know not to do that again. So it must have been intentional. I don't fucking know. Whatever. It was dumb. Hmm. Did anybody else notice that uh, Bruno apparently really needed like uh, some accuracy SOs or something in, in that scene? Like he nice. was He's just rolling around on the floor, shooting his gun and just apparently not hitting anything at all. I mean, there's the point he gets under the scaffolding and he's just like he pops a fresh clip in the gun and fucking unloads it. Doesn't manage to hit the dude. It's fucking unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. One of the notes that I had, Ben, was that it takes him a full clip to shoot one guy. Yeah. Or he uses a full clip on each adversary. And the the rolling around on the floor, like I thought (laughs) it was just, there's something really funny about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was dumb. And I agree with you. I know exactly what you mean too. It's like, it's such a dumb move. Like you would never hit anything if you did that, unless you were some sort of expert with a handgun. Yeah. It was borderline piss takey. It was borderline police squad kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it was great. It was funny. I, I kind of liked it. But yeah. <laughs> like just, it was kind of a goofy way for the action to unfold. And I do understand the need to use an entire clip to kill one of the mercs in that particular scene played by T-1000 Robert Patrick. Damn it, man. I was saving that for later. Oh, yes. sorry, yes. man. No, no, no. It's fine. I mean, I... Yeah, I actually had to rewind it to make sure it was him. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Not not his first film, but one of his first, and he played the T-1000 right after this. It's kind of a silly scene in execution, but the idea of the bait and switch I liked. So it's a yeah. perfect example of what you were saying in terms of good plot, bad execution. Exactly, exactly. And the name of the Anakin, Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> the Anakin Skywalker? Well, I love when McLean just jumps on the radio so he can go, hey, Colonel, blow me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote good comeback, you know, like that was really great. Yeah. Really, really subtle. Good comeback. You're really on top of it. I'm sure his feelings are hurt now and he's probably going to stop doing what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and he totally eviscerates him, too. He's like, I thought you looked like you were a little out of your week on the Today Show. <laughs> yeah. He really gave it to him, man. It's better than, uh, you know, the metal detector line. That was good stuff, man. The fucking lead in your ass bullshit. Or the shit in your brains? Yes. How how does the metal detector detect the shit in your brains? The shit is made out of some kind of metal. (laughs) (laughs) I love how he just held on to that and kept thinking about it. I was like, okay, that didn't land. Um, and I started looking at my notes. <laughs> Stand by. 
Uh, guys, hang on a second, hang on a second. Folks, we're going to be getting right back to the nerdery in a second, but I just had to take a quick break because I want to thank everybody so much for tuning into the show. We put a lot of work into it and we really love doing it. And if you like the show, there's a couple of great ways you can support the show. First, you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful, incredibly important, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, and now back to the mayhem. So not long after the Annex Ken Skywalker shootout with the T-1000, we get the Generalissimo landing uh, after the British plane crashes. The Generalissimo lands his plane, and... McLean, I I don't remember how he gets out onto the runway that time. He's like he like Ninja Turtles out of the out of the sewers. <laughs> that's right, he does. Oh, that's right, that's right. So he went down to ask Marvin. Yeah, Marvin the Wizard gives him the the map to how to get to that part of the <laughs> runway. Jesus Christ! Uh. And then he gets up out there. The general opens the door. He shoots the general Isimo in the arm, and then he gets in the plane. Sadler's guys show up. <laughs> fill the thing full of lead and literally 10 grenades. And I felt like it took it like a half an hour for those grenades to go forever. <laughs> oh my God. Right. For him to get like, he's looking at the first grenade and he's on the ground and then he gets up, then he gets into the seat, then he straps himself in. Then by then there's 10 grenades in the cockpit, but I feel like the first one would have blown by then. No, I don't know. Definitely. Was, he was dead. He was dead as fuck. It was ridiculous. I love, I love that. He like, laid on the ground looking at the grenades for like five minutes and then started strapping himself in. It was like, okay, yes. bro. I know. Yeah, hey, man. Hey, man, take your time. Take your time. I know it's a tough moment. Take your time. <laughs> you know, like. But yeah, yeah. True ejection death. Mm. <laughs> it's the quintessential ejection death. Like, this is what happens every time one of us uh, goes on the internet and, and disappears from the show. Yeah. Yes. Ten grenades explode. Bruno in the ejection chair with an explosion in the background is the mental image you should have when you hear ejection death. Yeah. Yeah. A really bad CG mat of of Bruno slowly mm. coming into the, the screen. And I, I definitely remember this being probably one of the key moments in my first viewing as a tween where I was like, this is so dumb. <laughs> but it's kind of funny now. Yeah. I'll use that as a segue into the introduction of another hero. A man who built a fortune making a hamburger restaurant so close to McDonald's, and yet it wasn't. And that was Cleo McDowell, major in the Special Forces, coming in to take out Colonel Stewart. Absolutely. John Amos, for all the folks that are not following my ridiculous references. Inventor of the Big Mick. <laughs> I'm convinced that McDowell went to Zamunda and became a mercenary after the events of coming to America? Dude. I mean, who's going to stay owning a hamburger restaurant when your daughter's married to the king of Zamunda? You're going to go and you're going to fucking train and become a mercenary and then, you know, become a bit of a revolutionary. So I think that's what happened here. Aha! Aha! <laughs> I totally agree with you. That is a great, that's some great theory craft. I am looking for my son. I was actually going to drop you a... Uh, uh, Arsenio Hall's Reverend 8507 Queens Boulevard. 
Uh, I love him getting out the chopper. I was just like, who is? Oh, my God. It's Mr. McDowell. He's fucking great. He's awesome, man. He's such a prolific actor. Yeah, he was in, um, I mean, obviously, Good Times was like his big thing, but which was a great show. He was also in The Beastmaster, which I cannot wait to talk about on this show. Hell yeah. I totally kind of, as soon as he walked on scene and started doing his thing, I think I had a flashback to knowing that he was going to do the double cross. I'm not sure how obvious it is. Maybe, Benny, you were saying this was pretty fresh. How obvious was it that he was going to double cross out? Not very. Not very. No? I don't think it was very obvious at all. In fact, I was like, did they just decide to do that in the post-edit? Like, it just <laughs> seemed weird. <laughs> Like, fuck, what are we going to do now? Uh, oh, we'll make it, uh, well, yeah, yeah, they used blanks. It's a double cross. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, you, you get the indication of it with when they switch the ammo, but I I didn't see it coming when I, I watched it when I was younger, when it came out, and I, I didn't notice it again this time. I was like, wait a second, man, you know? Yeah. Or rather, I knew, I, I, I forgot that it was a double cross. And then when they, they switched up the ammo, I was like, oh, right, they double cross him. But they, they sold it well, I thought. You know, again, great, good plot and, you know, poor execution. There's there's actually a lot of really good actors in this movie, too. So, I, and I thought Amos was great. He was probably one of the better ones. Yeah, definitely. He could have definitely gone, I think, I think, riffing off what you're saying, though, like, the variety of actors in this brought a variety to it because you could you could totally see lesser actors take Amos's character and F- Dennis Franz's character and have them be very similar. And the fact they were quite distinct, I think, was really was like a strength for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And ditto with Colonel Stewart. I mean, yeah, or even Fred Thompson too. Like all of them had enough variety in there where they were very distinct. Oh, absolutely, man. And really, William Sadler. Just to digress on this for a quick second, he is. In my opinion, one of the most underrated actors of the last 20 to 30 years, everything he does, he, he brings like 200% to, you know what I mean? Like you watch him in Shawshank, he's like, he's so damn good, man. He was amazing as the Grim Reaper in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Totally. I completely forgot that he was that, that he played that character. Well, you do forget because he's so good. You know, it's, it's fucking like you, hilarious. You don't even. Yeah, it's hysterical, man. He's a he is a top notch talent, man. And, you know, you really see that in this movie, too, because he's really menacing in this movie. And like he really nails that like psychotic kind of military guy, ex-military guy who's sort of. Yeah. I don't know. I want to say despotic, but. He makes a good villain, period. Yeah, exactly. He makes a great villain. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. So then we get we get more Marvin, we get the church shootout, followed by the snowmobile chase, which was pretty dope, including that ridiculous where the hell did that Mack truck come from? I have no idea. But I love how much how much uh super flammable fuel everything is filled with in this movie. It was just excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the snowmobile blows up. McLean does like a, you know, <coughs> oh, okay, gotta get a new one. <laughs> He's got to get his. He's got to get his uh, crop top bloody somehow. <laughs> Just to, to not breeze past the church scene, in the sense that I would love to. There's two things. One is sharpen your icicles. The icicle in the eyeball thing was such a legendary moment for me with this one. It's definitely a, a moment that stuck with me throughout the years. Absolutely. I'm not sure if it's been done before, but I just, yeah, it really... Like the knife throw in uh, Big Trouble. This one was just like a moment that I always remembered. Oh, it was great. And then a micro nugget. Uh, John Leguizamo was one of the thugs in the uh, 
He was. In the church, which I thought was hilarious and weird. He was. Yes, he definitely was. And we got to see Johnny Legs for a couple of seconds. Yeah. I, I found it amazing that he grabbed Leslie Barnes. You know, again, like, so McLean's always going off on his own. But this time, you know, they, they get the map out and they figure out that, you know, the neighborhood's on the edge of the airport property. And then he takes him with him this yeah. time to see, you know, to, to un, unravel his next clue that he thinks he's got going on. And one thing was, you know, he does a, he, it's like fail by beeper. Like as he's going to take out the sentry, the stupid beeper goes off, man. I was like, come on. Yeah. And then the other thing, which is a 100% Kev is, uh, <laughs> did you notice that the garbage cans were brand new at the church? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were like they were those old school like like little metal ones, but they were shining, man, shiny, brand new. I was like, okay, uh, the, the kind of thing that only Wolverine would notice. It was the last thing that the dead church caretaker did. Yeah, you think maybe the care, the church caretaker just happened to go out and buy new garbage cans that week? I don't know. I thought it was a little unbelievable. <laughs> The most unrealistic part of the whole movie. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Those trash cans are way too shiny. Can somebody like just real quick like <laughs> rub some grime on those things? Get a get a sander and kind of beat them up a little bit. Someone, did someone go relic those fucking garbage cans for me, please? Could, could someone please take a few handfuls of the shredded coconut that's pretending to be snow and rub them all over the gas cans or the trash cans? <laughs> exactly. That snow was so fucking fake. It was hilarious. All right, so. After we already talked about the snowmobile scene for a second, that's where McLean figures out that they're using the blanks. And it's at that point, I think it's important to note out that he <laughs> takes yet another clue to Lorenzo, who just starts chewing him out again. And he just opens fire yeah. in the middle of the, the police thing. And like, what was incredible to me about that was you know, it was cool for shock value that he's like, you know, showing them that they're blanks. But like, I think probably f at least five cops would have pulled their guns out and just blown him away. Absolutely fucking blasted him. Yeah. Oh, so dead. No doubt. Right? I think we're discovering that in, in this episode, Bruno dies. Yeah. Yeah. He really did die there. That was kind of poor. Yeah, that is, if he didn't die of the grenades first. I mean, the grenades definitely killed him. Yep. We've all decided that. And then, you know, so somehow he miraculously survives that. But the, the that, that scene, he definitely would have died. Oh, absolutely. Would have gotten shot to shit by the cops. No doubt. Bruno I'm going to write a Bruno death in my tally today. I don't think we've ever had it where the main character of the film died like we do <laughs> in their own movie. Oh, this is like almost certainly not going to make it into the show. But I just wanted to say... That the scene, oh, I suppose we haven't quite gotten to it yet, or maybe we have, but the scene where, uh, what's his name? The fucking reporter on the airport, in the airplane, what was his name? Thornburg. Thornburg. The scene where Thornburg calls in and it goes on national news and everyone in the airport freaks out and starts running down the hallway to get out of the airport. Delicious, man. Delicious. One of my, the first thing that came to mind towards the end of that is like, in the distance, you can just see like the crowd panicking and running out the door and someone throws a whole bunch of papers in the air. And the first thing I thought 
was that it was Steven Seagal throwing papers in the air, like in the office with what's her name. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now every time Excellent. I see the the trope of papers getting thrown up, I'm going to picture Seagal doing it, and it's going to be the best. Exactly. That was nice. Very nice. Does anybody see Bobby Lupo? <laughs> it was Bobby Lupo, man. He's now he's in the airport in Washington looking yeah, for Bobby. Exactly. Nice one, dude. That was finally the part where Lorenzo finally got on board with McLean. Like it took the <laughs> entirety of this grueling two hours to get there. But after he shoots him with the blanks, that's when he's like, okay, come on. It's kind of a funny turning point, but it is very much the turning point for him. It is. And dumb and funny and all of that. But I love I love how <laughs> I love how Lorenzo isn't on board with McLean when a fucking British airliner fucking slams into the ground, but when he shoots blanks at him, then he's on board. I know. The logic, this, this, I read an article on, I think in The Guardian, I think from 2013 about this movie, and that was one of the things that was sort of central to the article is how everything defies logic in this movie. Mm. And it does. Just what you said is exactly that. So once Lorenzo becomes uh, buddies with McLean, he finally gets on board that, you know, McLean is actually a cop who knows what he's doing. (laughs) So dumb. And then we get the final climactic uh, scene of the film, which was uh, starts off with Lorenzo getting a taking a phone call and getting a tip. And then before he's done writing it down, Amos is there. He just grabs the piece of paper. He's like, all right, let's go. Yeah, that was so funny. Like, I, I thought that was so dumb. Like, he had no idea what he was. He, he could have been his wife on the phone asking him if he wanted him to, if she wanted him to make goulash for dinner. For Christ's sake! That said, though, <laughs> I saw somebody on YouTube mentioning that <laughs> I love a good galumpki. Hey, that John Amos grabbing the paper without needing to know what the story was was the one of the dead giveaways that he was double crossing, which I thought was like, okay, I could buy that. Yeah, I could buy that too, but that that's a little convenient. But yeah, all right. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. I suppose this is a uh, a transition to the reporter dude giving away the goat and everyone freaking out in the airport and Steven Seagal throwing the papers in the air because they get stuck in traffic out front and that's how John ends up on a fucking helicopter, which is the most random thing ever. Ever. Oh my God, yes. And and I, that's when, when the two brothers, the Lorenzo brothers, unite because we find out that the traffic cop or the guy that gave him the ticket anyway was the chief's brother. Then they're all sitting in the front seat of the car together, which I thought was a little awkward. (laughs) And then they hit it. I'm just – because this was noteworthy. They hit a cab and Lorenzo just jumps out. He's like, move this piece of shit. Move this piece of shit. Move this piece of shit. Get this piece of shit out of here. Like just that's what he did. It's just dumb. (laughs) Like, okay, the cab never moved. Right on. And then McLean just gets the bright idea to to jump in the chopper, which is so ridiculous. Well, he's also, um, you know, kind of throwing a bone to the reporter girl who, you know, they, they kind of indicate throughout a couple points throughout the film, starting in the beginning, that she's just like, I just can't get my story. Can't get a break. You know, everybody, I just can't get my story. Everybody's kind of shutting her down. So then McLean's like, hey, I got an idea over here. You know, <laughs> get her shirt. Let me get her <laughs> chopper. Hey, you want that story? Let me go on your chopper. Take me over this plane. 
I'm going to save the day and you can film the whole thing. We can fight on the wing. Yeah, exactly. And then we get the wing fight. Which is pretty legit. Yeah, the, the wing fight was great. It's about as action movie-ish as you can get, really. I, I got to say, you know, they talk about bird strike uh, in aviation when you're flying and, you know, you get a flock of birds goes into the plane and either hits the propeller or the engines if it's a larger, you know, kind of passenger jet. And mm. it's I've never understood it to be a good situation in the sense that even a bird can bust up the engine of like a yeah. 747. So I found it pretty incredible that when a gigantic John Amos of a man <laughs> goes through the engine, the engine's still fine and the plane still takes off. It's the jet fuel that really takes it down. Cleo McDowell, in a final moment of brilliance, turns himself into a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's like a, you know, life as art piece, you know? Yeah, totally. I just love how they fuck. He gets turned. He gets turned into a Big Mick, and there's just nothing. There is no smoke coming out of the the engine. Like everything's totally fine. No big deal. Nothing. No. Exactly. There's just a bunch of raspberry jam on the side of the <laughs> the wing or the engine compartment or whatever. Sir, we've been jammed. Raspberry. Hate raspberry. Is that blueberry? <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the. McLean gets knocked off and then sticks his lighter into the jet fuel and the flame chases the plane. Like it's so fake would never happen in real life and retarded, Ever. but no quite, quite the perfect action crescendo. I love that the plane actually gets off the ground before it explodes too. There's just that, that moment where you see the flame, like sort of like quickly, like just jump off the ground to the engine. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So silly. It was pretty epic, but I'll buy it. I'll buy it for the purposes of the scene. I'll buy it because it was exciting and it was definitely cool, man. It was jet fuel and it was a lighter, so you know yeah. it's a little more. Well, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess there is actually a bit of a thing where aviation mechanics will will throw cigarettes and stuff into jet fuel because it's even less flammable than other forms in in that particular way. Evidently, is it really? Yeah, I read something about that. So. Well, then. Well, there you go. Corrected. I love it. Chad was like, I, I was reading an engineering paper on aviation <laughs> fuel last night in preparation for the show. Yeah. Was it uh, Was it marine aviation fuel? Uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> Wait. Well, it was type four, which <laughs> is amphibious fuel. <laughs> Possibly my favorite aviation line from any movie. Uh, absolutely. So th- then you have it, uh, just the, the, the quick wrap-up thing that jumped out at me was the ridiculous, like, McLean staggering after he just rolls over and starts laughing. He just killed 20 people on a plane, Mm. rolls over, starts laughing. Then he gets up and Holly, Holly. It was very rocky. Very, very rocky. Yes. And then the wizard comes back with a golf cart or whatever, a luggage cart. It's like, I'm not cleaning this mess up. (laughs) Fucking oh my God. I'm going to be in my steam room drinking. They don't end movies like they used to, eh? They really don't, man. So, you know, there you have it. I have Johnny Dangerously's mom kicks uh, Dick's ass. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, He's on the ground. Yeah, and walks right over him. Yep. And he's whining on the ground. I got a couple of bits and bobs, but. You want to chuck them into nuggets? Yeah, sure. Nuggets, Kev. You start them up. Uh, I had one really good one. At one point, the pilot of Northeast Air. 
Holly's plane says, uh, we're over the city. Why don't you see if you can get some TV on? Did you notice that they put on The Simpsons? <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I did. I, I also, some of these are nuggets, some not. Uh, my big, I guess my biggest nugget was that Chief O'Brien was the pilot for Windsor 114 that exploded and everybody died in a fiery ball of death. And no I shit. That was fantastic. Was that the same? Did, didn't, did Chief O'Brien get referenced last week? Or was that a different story? He did. Yeah, okay, cool. No, no, he did. Yeah. He did. Ben said, uh, yeah, Chief O'Brien, there was just no Keiko. Hey. Hey. Because he was talking hey. about Roscoe. So we had Cole Meany as the pilot of Windsor 114. I thought it was great with him doing that straight up uh, Ponzi British accent. Casting an Irishman as a Brit. Yes, indeed. Jesus. I, I really liked Holly's line about uh, when Thornburg's like jotting notes down in the chair and she's like, what are you, what are you writing your acceptance speech for video sleaze, the video sleaze awards? I was like, wow, who came up with that line? Give that guy a raise. Exactly. Give that guy a raise. My favorite actual line in the movie was when John Amos says, he says, no, McLean, I'm just your kind of asshole. I really yeah. like that a lot. That's pretty good. It resonates with me as the show's resident asshole. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. Hey, you're my kind of asshole. And then the other, the, the only other thing was that uh, I really enjoyed, as Chad said, the icicle scene. <laughs> Shoot your eye out, kid. Ah. Ah! You can't just shoot your eye out. I love the uh, the the slide dad joke. Icicle. Yeah. Uh, hey kids, look at that! He's got himself an icicle. Just the facts, ma'am. Wow, that was like my worst show moment ever. <laughs> <laughs> Benny, you get any nuggets, bro? <clears throat> Gentlemen, I will recuse myself from nuggets. Okay, sweet. <laughs> I love. I, I was really hoping that you guys wouldn't steal one of my key nuggets, which is uh, the reporter that couldn't catch a break. Did you guys uh, happen to pick up that that was the donut lady from Umbrella Academy? Oh my god! Oh damn it! That was so good. No, I I, I, I knew I knew her from somewhere, but I couldn't place it. Same. I so I great. thought I I recognized her from another eighties or nineties film. Same here. I was super pumped when I found that one, and I'm so happy I didn't steal that. Excellent nugget, dude. Um, director Rennie Harlan also directed Cliffhanger, which you guys are probably aware of, which I thought was interesting. Yep. Yes. All right. So I've got two more minor nuggets. One, the general is from Valverde. I'm sure you guys picked up on that. Wait a second. That's not true. It is 100% true. Who, where does really? it say that? Uh, Steven D'Souza was a co-writer of this and co-wrote Commando, or wrote Commando, I believe. And he was nervous about using a South American country for, you know, political reasons, so created Valverde. So the general in this is from Valverde. It's very clearly said in the movie. And I love that it suggests that both this and Commando now exist in the same universe. And I propose Oh my that god, that is awesome. Yeah, I propose that Valverde is, is where the uh, EBD layer resides. Dude, yes, I thousand percent agree. I'm surprised you guys missed that because it's pretty clear in the film. You should go. I'll, I'll see if I can timestamp when it is in the movie, and and I'll send it to you. Where? Yeah. So where does I don't remember where he said that. Now I did watch this in two chunks, so it's possible that I I missed it. I I had some distractions as well. My vague recollection is it might be in the opening naked kung fu news montage. 
Because there's like a bunch of news channels in the background kind of laying out some exposition. Man, you really you really had two giant boulder nuggets of gold. Those are, those were really good. Cool, man. Um, I'm glad you liked them. I got one last nugget. Tell you what, I wish I had me an eight ball of Belverdean gold to get my day started today. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. A little pick-me-up, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I know exactly what you mean. Um, this one probably isn't going to have as much of a uh, thunderous... Um, reception, but uh, Holly McLean is looking over at the lady next to her where an ad for Lethal Weapon 2 is in the magazine that she's reading. What? And both the first two Die Hard movies and Lethal Weapon series were produced by Joel Silver, and coincidentally, both Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis were considered for each other's roles of John McClane and Riggs, but turned them down, and they went to each other. Wow. Hmm. That's actually pretty damn good, man. I like that. You like it? Uh, I actually have one more. Um, if you, whenever you're done, do it. Yeah, that's it, man. That was really, really good. I didn't realize that. That's a nice one. There should be a crossover movie. There totally should be a crossover movie. That would be great. That would get funded now too, man. There, all that anyone ever wants to do these days are reboots and remakes and crossovers. You could totally get funding for that. I know you could. Yeah, if you can make Alien versus Predator, you can definitely make that. Fair enough. Yeah, that's. I think Ben, that's the bar. If you can get a movie like that made, then you can get any one of these mm. ridiculous. If you, can, if you can make Freddy versus Jason, then you can make that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they are making a sequel to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, what, 25-something years after the fact? Mm. Mm-hmm. And Sadler's reprising his role. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, man. That's gold right there. Um, this is a minor nugget, but an interesting one, because you mentioned the fake coconut snow. Mm. They filmed in various locations for this movie, but at one point they had to use painted white cornflakes as snow. What? Yes, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> That's a nugget for the empty bowl right there. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, right? We should we should Whoa. do a oh, crossover. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, those are some frosted flakes. Yeah, exactly. Why did they just use frosted yeah, flakes? It was uh, painted white cornflakes, man. Maybe they didn't want to disrespect Tony the Tiger or something. Well, no, I think like if you look at frosted flakes, like they're not that white. You can see that it's still a yellow cornflake with white frosting on it. I think they needed. Yeah, but if you painted you know cornflakes, I mean? they'd probably look like fresh, unused trash cans, and we all know how unrealistic they are. So, hey, man, exactly. No, that's good. I like that. I didn't know that they painted cornflakes, but it certainly looked like it because it was some fake ass looking snow in this movie. <laughs> yeah, there was some. I thought I thought most of it looked like it was actual snow. They must have shot in some snowy locations. I'm gonna nugget your nugget and say that. Uh-oh. They they shot like the scene where Bruno Ninja Turtles out underneath the uh the military aircraft evidently was shot in like eleven locations or something fucking crazy. And they went all around the country chasing snow and they couldn't get it anywhere. So they had like snow machines a lot of times. Correct. Yes. And evidently for the snowmobile scene, they were trying to get snow and they set up a whole bunch of mats and they were getting ready and then a blizzard came through and then they couldn't film. So they really got fucked on the snow here. <laughs> <laughs> they did. You're right. And and actually, I just remembered. I'll, OK, so I'll nugget on top of your nugget on top of my nugget is that Denver was the airport of choice. They wanted to use that location because it consistently is snowy there. And that happened to be one of the mildest snow winters that Denver had had in many, many years. I like it. Deaths. Yes. Uh, deaths. 
I okay. I died the. I pretty much died the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had a retraction death when I said something and then retracted the damn comment, and I don't even remember what it is now. I think I retracted a joke. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Then Chad and I killed each other, uh, <laughs> almost vicious. literally, which may or may not may or may not make it into the show. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, then we had. Uh, yeah, I, I, think died, I, I think I died of friendly fire during that one. Yeah, you did. Man. Yeah, you died of friendly fire during that. That's for sure. Um, all of our equipment was destroyed during that as well. <laughs> yeah, it was like an old Nirvana show. <laughs> exactly. I died during just the facts. Trying to, I, I got so focused on Dragnet that I missed the the real what of it, which was the fax machine thing. Yeah, you really died on that one, bro. Yeah, I also died when I I tried to do a Tom Lennon thing about the Anakin Skywalk that just fell like a lead balloon. Was that the lead in your ass or the shit in your head? <laughs> Sorry, it was the shit in my head and the lead in my ass. I didn't think it was that bad. It was just sandwiched in between a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it was all right. I'm still taking it as a death. Anyway, and then Bruno. Bruno died. Bruno's dead. This is twice. A, this is a first. Yeah, the first time that a a member of the cast has actually died on our show. He deserved it. So he died. He yeah, he did deserve it. He died on the grenade ejection seat scene. And what was the other one? Oh, the blanks. No, no, the blanks in the police uh, airport precinct. It would have been suicide by cop. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Ratings. So this one's not a strong diehard movie. I mean, obviously, I don't know. All the newer ones are just such piles of crap that I kind of really only enjoyed the first one, obviously, and the third one, which was Sammy Jackson, which is just fucking great. Mm. This is a borderline movie, I think. I think it would have been firmly in meh territory before rewatching this, but there's a lot of funny bits and and not taking it seriously and enjoying the stupidity and even the like ejection bullshit. Like it's just it's just funny. So I I definitely liked it more this time around. Um it has a good a good fun element to it. Yeah, exactly. And as such it kind of holds up better than expected and ends up sandwiched between two Avengers movies of I couldn't put it above the first Avengers movie I know that you guys were both or at least Kev I know you were a big fan of it and it was quite down the list for me in the MCU ratings but it is definitely better than Age of Ultron which I didn't enjoy and it lands at a 4.0 which barely squeaks out of meh and into borderline so I enjoyed it it was fun it was funny it's rating above raw deal and out for justice which Wow. I kind of think it's better than Raw Deal. Do you think that's reasonable? Mm. Raw Deal's like Mm. good in its shittiness. Yeah. And this maybe is too. This one was trying really hard to be awesome. And and a sequel. And a sequel. Yeah. Mm. It's close. It's close. I might have misnumbered Raw Deal, really. I think I do kind of feel like Die Hard 2, it's reasonable for me to put it in borderline territory, and it might just be mean that Raw Deal needs to get bumped up a hair to beat it, but... Um, it's definitely better than Out for Justice. Yes, no doubt. And this and Out for Justice basically came out in the same year, interestingly enough. So there you have it, 4.0. What's, uh, considering the Valverdian connection, where does it sit against Commando? Ooh, good call. Commando is definitely much higher. Commando is a 5.4 in the Gladiator, Inside Man, Chronicles of Riddick 
So it's it's much higher up. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, as always, uh, interested and love hearing about how the inner workings of the algorithm and your head are. Mm-hmm. Indubitably. Indubitably. Uh, well, I say, Jahigo, what did you? How did you rate this? Uh, this film. Uh, th- this film, despite the fact that it is uh, trying to cram ten pounds of shit into a five pound bag. <laughs> And some schlocky dialogue. I'd give it about a six point five. It was it was fun to watch. No improbability. Uh, improbability drivers offline. Well, I, I, I suddenly turned into a simple Southern lawyer just then. So that is improbable. That is improbable. Is it is it cramming ten pounds of shit into a five pound bag or ten pounds of shit into a five pound head? Ooh, indubitably, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's reasonable. Any other? Uh, yeah, any other thoughts on that, Ben? Or, sorry, Colonel? No, sir. I'll defer to you. I was going to say a seven, and I'm actually going to stick with that. Good. The fact that it's based on a book and that it has such a good plot buoys it up quite a bit for me. The ridiculous use of swearing and the bad dialogue are what really dragged this thing down. I really should have rated it like a 5.5, but I'll stick with my 7. I actually was thinking about it at one point that, you know, if you if you rework the dialogue and, you know, kept the action in but just did it a little bit differently, this could be a really good, serious, straightforward action movie. Yeah. That could have a lot of good, heartfelt emotion in it, like... If you really sort of focused on him and his wife being in the plane, like, it could have been something really good there, man. Yeah, you give it to McTiernan, you probably would have had it. Same script to McTiernan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you very well might have, you know. So, at any rate, I'm going to stick with my seven. You know, I I remember... I had it in my head that this was so bad because Chad said this is universally, or you mentioned that this is sort of universally f- viewed as the worst of the diehards, but it, it had some things going for it. Yeah. They were pretty cool, you know? And it had a terrific cast, so I'll stick with my seven. It's totally reasonable. All right, then. All right, and that's our coverage of Die Hard 2, Die Harder, the best of the Die Hard films. Hope you folks enjoyed it. A couple of quick announcements. It was David Hasselhoff's birthday the other day, and there was uh, we posted up a really bizarre <laughs> Hasselhoff meme. I would encourage you to check that out. Benny Benny found Nugget, yes? Yes. Yes, Benny found uh, Nugget on Instagram, so check that out because it will hypnotize you. You will be hypnotized by Hoff. Also, as we've mentioned already, the book club we are starting, Sci-Fi Book Club, We're going to be tackling the first book of the Hyperion series by Dan Simmons. So grab a copy and read it or grab the audio book and listen to it. We're going to be talking about that on the 20th or the 27th of August. We haven't exactly nailed that down yet. Uh, Lastly, the Rolling Stallones. Oh, the Rolling Stallones. We love the Rolling Stallones. They are fans of the show. We're fans of theirs. And they are releasing a new single coming out now. It's out now, right? Yep. Called Once Upon a Time in Hip Hop. So definitely check that out. It's yet another dope track from the Stallone-loving gang. And that's about it. Algorithm, what are we getting into next week? Pizza. Nice. Yeah, we're just going to shake it up a little. Try something different. Yeah. Trying to do something a little bit different. Should be entertaining. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Pizza, Die Hard 2. Thanks for joining us. Join us next week. And... I'll see you at another time. See ya. Good day. 
And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. Find the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice or on our website, evd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 65. You can find us on various social media, but mostly on Instagram at EBD Podcast. So please join us there for the conversation. You can find me and Mulverine on Twitter, Jarhigo at Jarhigo on Twitter, and Algorithm at Chad Normal on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, there's a couple of great ways to do it, folks. You can rate us, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is the best way to spread the word. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Join us next week as we talk about pizza. And we'll see you another time. Thanks. Did I ever tell you about the time? Did I ever tell you about the time that I was sleeping in the basement of a church in fuck I don't know Virginia, and a dude found a trash bag full of donuts in the dumpster behind a Dunkin' Donuts or a donut shop, and we just like picked holes in the side of the bag and ate them. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. I think the, I think the best part of that is that you picked holes in the side of the bag. You didn't well, try to cut it or open. But if it. you imagine like a humongous clear trash bag full of donuts, like. And you see one halfway down that looks good, but you don't want to go digging through the donut. You just rip a little hole in the side, pull a little fucker out, you know? It's 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 kind of like the gravity drive in uh, <laughs> Event Horizon. Instead of traveling <laughs> through all of those donuts, you just fold the space and create a direct avenue to the donut of your choice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the space guy continuum of donut trash bags. It's like a donut wormhole. Yeah. Oh my God. That might be the best analogy ever. I love how the story of me eating donuts out of a trash bag in a church basement is going to stay in the show.